Good morning, everybody. There is one thing I think that we will all be able to agree on by the time today is over. It will be that through, between the music and the scoop and the message, that everyone in here will have seen enough of my face for one weekend. So, uh, this morning, I'm actually really excited because we're going to be starting a new series we're calling Into the Unknown, and you know, if you've been with us here at South Point, we spent a great deal of time these past few years in the New Testament. We spent an entire year in the book of John, an entire year in the book of Acts, and I believe that it's been really amazing and fruitful. But for the next couple months, for the next couple months, we're actually going to be going way back, all the way back to the very first book of the Bible called Genesis, and we're going to be taking a close look at the life of a man named Abraham and his family. Now, this is the life of a man from which God built an entire nation, the entire nation of Israel. And I honestly couldn't be more excited about it. And the reason I couldn't be more excited about it is that you would think that by going all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, going back to Genesis, you would think that that would mean that we're not going to be talking about Jesus that much. But in reality, this entire book points to him. Either through prophecy or illustration or somehow coincidentally the, the events of history just align and paint these exact parallels of the gospel message. This entire book is about Jesus and it is amazing. And if you remember, the entire theme of this year is called the gospel effect. That's why we have these cool little white and black bracelets. If you don't have one of these with the A and the E on them, make sure you go and grab one of them. But the entire point of this year from a teaching standpoint is to emphasize that this gospel message, what Jesus did for us on a cross, connects and affects with every single area of our lives. And not only does it connect directly to our lives, but the truth of the gospel and the message of the gospel also connects directly to every single book in the Bible. It's all about Jesus. That's why if you remember week one of this year, if you remember all the way back to week one, we emphasized that Jesus said this to the religious leaders in his time. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is that they bear witness about me. Jesus tells these religious leaders, listen, you know this book, you know all the lessons, you know all the stories, but you've missed the point because you think that Eternal life comes from following all of these rules, but in reality, all of these words speak directly about me, and eternal life is found in me. And when Jesus is saying that the scriptures point to him, the New Testament hadn't been written yet, and so he is literally talking about all of the Old Testament. One of the other amazing things about the Old Testament, if you don't read it much, is that the Old Testament, although it never mentions Jesus by name, it is still connected to him. You never hear his name in the first half of the Bible, but it is all written about him. And so one of the reasons I'm so excited to be going back to the Old Testament with you guys, if I'm being honest, is that the Bible used to be extremely boring to me. The Bible used to be boring to me, if I'm being honest. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. I couldn't connect the dots. And so I really had no desire to read it. And for the most part, I didn't really read it that much for a lot of my Christian walk. And if I'm being honest with you guys, my relationship with God suffered greatly because of that. Because the truth is, all that I had to go off of when it came to what I knew about Jesus, all I had to go off of were what other people told me, what pastors told me, or videos told me, or, or songs, or, or whatever it was. But my entire relationship with God was through someone else. And man, that is a terrible way to have a relationship with someone. 
I mean, imagine me being married to my wife. Imagine me being married to my wife, but also deciding that our entire relationship was going to go through another person. This person comes up to me and says, hey, your wife says she loves you. Also, she is looking very stunning today. Also, she said she would love to pour into your life and make it better. And I go, wow, she sounds amazing. I'd really love to meet her one day. And this person's like, no, I, actually, she, keep, she keeps emphasizing that she just wants to have this relationship with you and that, like, you don't need me to have this relationship and you can just go directly to her and just have this relationship with her. And I'm like, nah, I'll just keep hearing about her from you. That is not a marriage and that is not a relationship. And I'll just shoot you straight. If you never read the Bible for yourself or never seek to connect with God directly, by yourself through his word, that is exactly the kind of relationship you have with him. It's not much of a relationship at all, and I can speak to that because that is the kind of relationship that I used to have with God. I used to not want to read the Bible because I thought that it was all about just reading the stories and knowing the lessons and knowing the rules and just applying all of that to my life, and it didn't appeal to me. But then, then I had a pastor one day really challenge me. And this pastor said to me, because I expressed my struggle with wanting to read the Bible, he said, listen, I want you to try something for me. I want you to, when you pick up this book, when you pick up the Bible, before you ever read a single word, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would help you find Jesus in these words. I want you, before you read a single word, to pray that the Holy Spirit would help you find Jesus. Jesus in these words and then as you read the lessons and all of the rules and all that stuff is secondary I want you to make it your goal to find Jesus in these words like even in the Old Testament yes even in the Old Testament the entire Bible is about him and I am telling you guys man once I made that mental pivot and I started to read this book with the goal of finding Jesus this book came alive for me alive. Like I found myself engaged in ways I never was before. I found myself noticing things I'd never noticed before. I found myself wanting to read this book. And that is what I want for each and every one of you guys in this place, man. I want you to fall in love with the Word of God, not because of all the rules and the stipulations. I want you to fall in love with the Word of God because every time you pick it up, it reveals something new to you about this Jesus. And it doesn't matter if it's the book of Genesis, the book of Obadiah, the book of Romans, or Revelation. Jesus is in all of it. And it is all designed to give us a clearer picture of him. And so, with that in mind, what we're going to do is we're going to read the story of Abraham in this Into the Unknown series. And I can't wait because we're going to be reading the story of Abraham with the goal of finding Jesus. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. We'll have the words on the screen, or if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1, but first, let's pray together. God, I'm excited to dig into the book of Genesis. I'm excited to dig into Abraham's story. But God, I just need to confess my own ability to do what only you can do, God. And so I know that what we need right now is not just another talk from me is not a convicting message or a sermon. I know that what we actually need is to hear directly from you. And we need you to infiltrate our lives and we need you to separate us into the type of people you need us to be. God, we need to hear directly from you in this place. And so God, speak to me, through me, for that purpose. Speak through these words for that purpose and help us find Jesus in these words. In your name and your name alone. 
Amen. Now just a quick aside before we get started because I need to let you know the context because context is extremely important. The context of where we're going to be picking up this story because you would assume, you would assume Genesis chapter 12, that's pretty close to the beginning and actually in my Bible it's only 11 pages in. You would assume, you know, pretty close to the beginning but the truth is from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 12, 2,000 years pass in these 11 pages. Now, you may not understand this, the the length of that, but that's actually the amount of time between when Jesus was crucified and today. So this is a big amount of time. And just to catch you up, some really massive things happened in the first 11 books of the Bible, the biggest being that God creates everything out of nothing. Heaven, earth, space, time, people, animals, nature, you name it, he created it, everything, and it was good. And then after that, we have the fall of Adam and Eve, and we get the entrance of sin and death into the world, and we get Adam and Eve being banished from paradise. Pick up sometime later, and we have God sending his judgment on the entire corrupt world in the form of a flood, and God erases all of the evil out of the world and gives mankind a chance to start again. Then later, these new people, they they decide that they're going to build this tower up to God and they're going to try to make this amazing name for themselves and God scatters them all across the earth and mixes up their languages. A lot happens in these first 2,000 years and then we get to Genesis chapter 12 and God brings that stopwatch to a screeching halt and now we're going to focus in on the life of a man named Abraham. The life of a man that God is going to create a nation of his people. And so his name is Abraham. As we pick up the story, his name is Abram. God is going to change his name. So just be aware, as we read Abram, Abraham, we're talking about the same person. But we are picking up in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, what we've already read this morning. It says this, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the Bible says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, who would be known as Sarah later, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. So Abram, who would go on to be renamed Abraham by God. If you don't know his story, Abraham is by and large the most prolific figure in the Old Testament. You have your Moseses, you have your Davids, but they are all secondary to Abraham. Abraham came first. Abraham is known as the father of Israel. Abraham is one of the most revered people in the Bible. Another interesting thing about Abraham is that Abraham existed before the Ten Commandments were given. 
Abraham lived before God gave people the law. And this is going to be extremely important to his legacy, but we'll talk more about that later. Abraham, in so many ways, is put up on this pedestal because God makes him this promise that he's going to make his name great and he's going to make him a blessing and give him this great number of children. And if that's all you had to go off of were these words alone, you'd be led to believe that God kind of plucked Abraham out of obscurity, out of nowhere, and just made him a hero. Because that's how we start, right? God said to Abraham, boom, and we're just in it. But you see, there's more to Abraham's story that's important that we need to know about. And so later in the Bible, Joshua tells us more of Abraham's backstory. In Joshua 24, it says, And Joshua said to the people, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. That's a river. Lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They served other gods. So for clarity, Abraham's story actually isn't random, and his story isn't unknown. We know a little bit about his family. We know that Abraham and his family were from a city called Ur, you are Ur. Maybe you remember learning about the city of Ur in your ancient history middle school class. Ur was the most technologically advanced city of its time. It was the most developed socially and culturally. And one other really specific thing about the city of Ur is that it was polytheistic, which means they served and worshipped a lot of different gods. And as we read from Joshua, Abraham and his family were no different. Abraham was actively worshiping other gods when the one true God got a hold of him. Another interesting thing that some historians report is that not only did Abraham worship other gods, but Abraham's father owned this business where he sold shrines and idols for these other gods, and Abraham helped him run this idolatry business. And so, not exactly a biblical hero in his backstory. A couple other things you need to know about Abraham's life was that Abraham lost his brother when he was young. His brother passed away. That's why it said he took Lot with him, his brother's son. His brother died and he's taken custody of his brother's son. And if you've ever experienced the sudden loss of a loved one, you carry the sting and the fallout from that with you for the rest of your life. And so he has that as a part of his story. And then the other big thing in Abraham's story is that he and his wife are unable to have children. His wife Sarai, who would go on to be known as Sarah, she can't have kids. And in the time they were living in, this would have brought great shame and embarrassment because in this polytheistic culture, not being able to have children was a sign to them that you didn't have favor with the gods. It was a sign there was something wrong with you. If the gods won't let you have kids, there has to be something off with you. It was a badge of shame if you couldn't have children. And then on top of that, just the sadness of not being able to start a family. And so Abraham's story is not random. He lived his entire life up to this point worshiping other gods. He's experienced the tragic loss of his brother at a young age, and he and his wife have been unable to conceive and are smeared with this badge of shame and sadness. And that's going to bring us to the first gospel parallel that we see in Abraham's life. And that first parallel is that brokenness exists in every person. See it in Abraham first. Brokenness exists in every person, even the most revered people in the Bible. Everyone is broken. Now this is the part of the gospel that a lot of people bristle against. This is the part that a lot of people, very difficult for them to understand this. It's very difficult for them to accept this, that each of us is broken, that each of us at our core is not all right, that we have a bent 
towards sin and we have a bent towards serving ourselves, that we have appetites for the things of this world and the things of God, we don't fully desire those all the time. We're broken. And people can argue against that all they want, that people are broken, but just look around at the world and you have your evidence. You can see the self-absorption. You can see the hate. You can see all the violence and the division and the selfishness and the greed and the lust. I could go on and on and so could you. It's written all over the face of society. I think very few people, if anyone, would look around at the state of the world and say, pretty good, nice, I like this. I think everyone would acknowledge, man, things are messed up. And if you ask people whose fault it is that things are messed up, they're going to tell you this person or this president or this political affiliation or this country or this group of people, but in some way, shape, or form, they're going to tell you that the problem is people. That things are messed up because people are messed up. That wars exist because people are power hungry. That poverty exists because people are selfish. That disease and health issues exist because people destroy the planet and we eat junk and we pump our our food full of junk. I mean, if you do a little detective work on any of the world's problem, you're going to find that people are the culprit. Staring us right in the face. And yet, Interestingly enough, despite this overwhelming evidence that we're broken, most people will say that for the most part, people are good. Yeah, things are broken, you see all this brokenness, but for the most part, people, people are good. And when they say this, they're not lying, they actually believe that. They believe that people are good. But here's the thing, the reason that people believe they're good isn't because they're actually good. No, the the reason people believe they're good is because they don't actually understand what goodness looks like. You know, people would say you can lie sometimes, you can cheat sometimes, you can betray people sometimes, and it's okay to be a little selfish. And just because you do all these things, that doesn't mean you're not a good person. Well, where do we draw the line then between good and bad? What do we distinguish between what's good and what's bad? What makes someone a bad person? Is it drug use? Is it porn addiction that makes you bad? Armed robbery? You have to murder someone to be bad? You see, everyone would draw a different line and say this is, this is the difference between a good person and a bad person if we left it up to us. And interestingly enough, coincidentally enough, we would draw that line and position ourselves just on the good side. That the stuff that I do, yeah, you know, it's, it's, but I'm not a bad person. But this, this stuff that these people do, mm-mm, that's bad. And you see, that's why we don't determine what's good. Only God does, because only God can, because God is the baseline for goodness. And the truth is, once you, once you catch a glimpse of Jesus, once you see what goodness actually looks like, then you'll start to recognize the brokenness in yourself. You'll start to see that you are your biggest enemy. You might not want to admit that. But you'll start to see that you have lied to yourself more than anyone has lied to you. You've betrayed yourself more than anyone has betrayed you. You've probably broken more promises to you than anyone else has broken. You've undoubtedly sabotaged your own health more than anyone else has. And that's just the stuff you've done to you. That's just the stuff we've done to ourselves, let alone what we've done intentionally or unintentionally to other people. I don't know if any of you guys listen to Taylor Swift, but even Taylor Swift wrote a song last year that blew up one of the most popular songs of the year and the lyrics of this song called Anti-Hero 
The lyrics of the song said, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Most popular song last year, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. And people loved it. Yes, I relate with this, I connect with this. I mean, even the awareness of our brokenness is leaking into mainstream culture. At our core, we know who we are. And this is the case for every human being ever. And so you're not alone. And so if you walked in here right now and you're like, listen, I'm really messed up. I'm broken. People don't get it. (laughs) Welcome to the club, man. We're all broken. We're all dealing with stuff. Here's the thing. God doesn't call good people to do heroic things. That's not what he does. The truth is God invites broken people to be saved by and be a part of the heroic things that he does. There's only been one hero in the history of mankind, and his name was Jesus. And so Abraham is in the city of Haran. He grew up in the city of Ur, and this man is broken. He's worshiping other gods. He's dealing with the grief over the loss of his brother, and he's dealing with the sadness and shame of not being able to have children. And then this God that Abraham has not heard of to this point, this God that Abraham has never heard of, arrives on the scene and says this to him. Let's read this now with this new context in which we understand Abraham lived in. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Sounds different when you know a story, right? Abraham is broken and lost and he's messed up. And then this God that Abraham doesn't even know, this God that Abraham has been actively betraying and blaspheming by worshiping these other false gods, the real God presents this invitation to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I want to let you experience a life you never could have dreamed of. And it's a life that Abraham has done nothing to earn, nothing to deserve. He's been broken and messed up his entire life. And yet God extends this invitation. And that's going to bring us to the second gospel parallel in Abraham's story. And that is, while we were actively sinning, God extended an invitation to us. While we were actively sinning, just like Abraham, he was broken, he was messed up. God extends an invitation to us. Romans 5, 8. In the New Testament, which was written over 2,000 years after Abraham's story, makes this connection. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still messed up, while we were still stabbing him in the back, while we were still in our mess, that's when Christ died for us. That's when God extended the invitation to us. I mean, do you not hear the parallels? Like we are Abraham. Abraham was broken and in his mess and likely in his feelings about all this stuff. And then God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, how would you like a new life? How would you like something better, far better? And I'm sure to a degree, Abraham was probably like, you know that I've been worshiping other gods, right? Like, you know, I've been worshiping them my whole life. Like, I was just worshiping them like this morning. Like, you sure you have the right person? And for us today, that might look like God extending this invitation for a new life and us responding as like, Like, you know how many people I've hurt, right? Like, you know how selfish I am, right? Like, you know how judgmental 
I am. Do you have any idea how many people I've slept with? Do you have any idea how many times I've been blackout drunk? Like, do you know the websites that I go to? Do you know how many times I've lied? Do you know how many people I've let down? Do you have any idea how many times I've let myself down? Do you have any idea who I am? Like, I'm a mess, God. And God seems to say, yeah, yeah, I know you. And listen, I'm not going to change your life because you're good. I'm going to change your life because I'm good. And all you have to do is follow me. This is the message of the gospel. Broken humanity and a God who intervenes and extends an invitation we do not deserve to experience a new life. And this invitation is extended multiple times in the Bible. God called Moses through a burning bush. He called David through a giant. He called Noah through a flood. He called Paul through blindness. And then Jesus called all of his disciples face to face. You can look in this book. There is a call on every single person's life. And in this room, it's the same. There is an invitation extended to you to experience a new life through God. And the thing is, it's not a call to be a hero. David, Abraham, Moses, Noah, you name any person None of these people were heroes. In actuality, they were just in the middle of a mess and God extended an invitation and they followed him. That's what distinguishes them. They followed this God. And so that invitation extends to you because there is a response. There is a move we have to make. And that move is to follow. We have to follow him. We have to accept the invitation that God extends to us. That's why the Bible records in verse 4 of Abraham's story, it says, so Abram went. Don't overlook that. He could have said no, but Abram went. Abram followed as the Lord had told him. And this illustrates the final gospel parallel that we see in this part of Abraham's story, and that is that the old you must be left behind. The old you must be left behind. And this is, a, this is the part of the gospel that a lot of Christians coincidentally leave out when they share Jesus with people. They'll say, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, and then they leave out the part that requires that your old self has got to go. The old you has to die in order to make room for this new creation that Jesus is trying to put in its place. That's why the passage says Abraham went. He did as the Lord told him. The Bible doesn't say that Abraham said, awesome God, you're going to transform my life. I can't wait. But also, couldn't I just stay here in the city of Haran? And couldn't I just keep like worshiping other gods? And couldn't I, can I just keep living the exact same way that I've been living and like you can still transform my life? The answer to that question is no. He had to go, and the old you has to go. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. My old self, my old me, the broken me, has died the same way that Christ died. And so it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hear these words, the old you must go. The old you must die to make room for the new. You see, we would find it funny. We would find it comical if Abraham had said to God, hey, I can stay right where I'm at doing the same stuff, worshiping the same God, 
same mess, and you can still transform my life. We would laugh at Abraham if he tried to barter with the God of the universe this way, and yet that is exactly how so many people function in the church today. God, I want you to transform my life. I I want to see your will be done in my life, but I'm also just going to keep continuing to do the same things I've always done. God, I want to see transformation and renewal in my life, but I'm just going to keep living in the same sin I've always lived in, and I'm just going to keep going to the same places with the same people and living the same life I've always lived, but I would really love if you could make this massive transformation in me while I just continue to sit in my same old mess. And I imagine there's probably some of you right now in this room who are learning the hard way that it doesn't work like that. That leaves you empty and static, feeling like a fraud, feeling like you're missing something. You are. I want to follow God. I want to follow God, but I also feel like I should be able to do X, Y, and Z. No. I want to identify as a child of God, but I also want to identify with all these worldly labels. And it... No. I want to experience God's freedom in my life. I want to experience his freedom, but there's also this sin that I'm just, I can't really let go of it. No. You know, I want to experience restoration and reconciliation and healing in my life, but also I really deserve to hang on to this grudge. And it's like, no. It doesn't work like that. You see, whatever it is for you that you would say, listen, I'm a Jesus follower, but I also think it's all right if, and you insert something that goes against God's word and his plan, that is a big fat no. He is God, and we are not. You see, Jesus encountered someone similar to this. It was this young man who was rich, this young man who had endless worldly possessions, and he held the world by a string. And this young man said he wanted to follow Jesus. And the Bible records in Matthew that this is how Jesus responded to him. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Like I said, everyone has a follow me moment. This is this young man's come follow me moment. And it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, you might not be rich like this kid, but you likely have something in your life. You, you likely have some tension point between what God commands and what you feel like you want to do. And whatever that thing is for you, I don't know what it is, but you know. Whatever that thing is for you, that is the equivalent of this kid's big pile of money. And we've already covered it, man. We don't know what's best for us. We're broken. We have issues. We're our biggest enemy. Remember, Taylor Swift, right? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. We can recognize the ways in which we are the problem. And yet, when Jesus says, all right, we've established that you're broken, we've established that you're messed up, so let's take that old messed up self, let's take him and put him away, and I'm going to do something new in your life. And then we say, well, maybe I'll just hold on to this one little bit. We'd laugh at Abraham if he did that. If he said, I can still do this and... I'll be changed. I can stay here. I can do what I've always done. I don't actually have to change anything about my life and you'll transform me. We'd laugh if Abraham said that to the God of the universe, but we're the ones who actually do that. 
Abraham followed. You know, and it takes, it's interesting, like this rich young ruler, you have to give him at least a little bit of credit because he recognized, man, I'm never going to be, I I can never give up my old life and and this and that and X, Y, and Z, and he walks away. He, He doesn't pretend. He doesn't lie. He doesn't play the church game, but we will do that. We'll try to follow Jesus around and play the church game and smile and talk to people and sing the songs while we fight to drag ourselves our old selves along for the ride. But the thing is, like, your old self, that is precisely the thing that's holding you back and creating this massive gap between your life and the life that Jesus desires for you. Because Jesus keeps moving forward, but your old self is holding you back. You see, to let go of your old self, to abandon your old self, and follow Jesus... That's what faith is. Faith is not some mental belief. Faith is an action. Faith is saying, man, I acknowledge that all of this junk, my broken self, it has been killing me, and I believe that Jesus is actually better, and so I'm going to prove that I believe he's better because I'm going to abandon all this junk, and I'm going to relentlessly follow him instead. That's faith. It's movement. Remember when I said that Abraham lived before the Ten Commandments and the law? This is why that's important. It's important because Abraham was not saved because of his obedience. He was not saved because he did the right things. There were no laws for him to follow yet. Abraham was saved because of his faith, because God said, I'm going to give you something better. And Abraham said, I'll take that. I will abandon all this. His faith was proven authentic because he followed God. He abandoned his old self and followed God. So if you say that you have faith? Has your faith also been proven authentic by abandoning your old self in favor of the life that Jesus died to offer you? Because why do we drag our old selves along? Why do we fight to hold on to them so much? Because there's a part of us that doubts that Jesus will give us what we actually need. And so I'm going to pull this along just in case Jesus isn't who he says he is. That's not faith. And so if you're trying to still drag your old self along for the ride, if that's you, my question to you is how long are you going to let your old self hold you back before you finally cut them loose in favor of a God who is just flat out better in every single way? The Bible says that God offered this invitation to Abraham and it is the same invitation that he extends to each and every one of us. Leave your old life behind. I'm going to do something new in you, something that you can't even begin to imagine. I'm going to give you a new life, but you have to leave that junk behind to make room for something better. And the Bible says, Abraham accepted God's invitation and he went. Will we, as individuals, do the same? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Abraham. And God, I am so thankful that Abraham was a broken person. Because if Abraham was a good person, we would have literally nothing in common with him. But the fact that Abraham has struggled with worshiping other gods, the fact that Abraham has struggled with grief and loss, and the fact that Abraham has dealt with sadness and shame, and I can relate to all of that. I understand that. And I understand that the grace that you extended to him, you have extended to me as well. I'm so thankful for that, God, because I 
in so many ways, I'm still not perfect. I'm still broken. And you continue to make my life better. You continue to offer this invitation to follow you and experience grace and love and peace I never could have imagined and I cannot find anywhere else in the world. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit rests on the hearts of the people in this room and watching online. I pray that Jesus sticks to us. And if there is an old self, if there is old junk that is holding us back from what you desire for us, Lord, make it clear and give us the boldness and the wisdom to cut ourselves free of that junk in favor of what you have for us. And if there's someone in this room who has never made that decision to step in this new life that you've offered, God, I pray that you make that decision clear for them today. Jesus, you are better than everything else. You offer things that this world simply cannot. You're just better. I pray that we understand that. We love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.